by the age of 18, I was homeless because my family had put me out. And so I needed a place to stay. And these pimps said, hey, we could give you some money and a place to stay as long as you do this. And I said, okay. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. Welcome to Dear Jane. I'm your host, Scott Baker. On today's episode, we've got a story of redemption you're not going to want to miss. Jean Marie Davis went from being shunned by her family at a very early age to drug and sex abuse all before high school. Today, she runs a vibrant pregnancy center in Vermont. Her story is one of resilience and forgiveness. Jean, thank you for joining us today. Let's start with the first memory you have of hearing about a pregnancy center. Uh, I was 29 and I was running. I had just ran for my life. Um, and ended up in New Hampshire. And when I ended up in New Hampshire, that's when that was the first time ever I heard about a pregnancy center when the woman, Teresa, said that there was a pregnancy center that can help me because I was, pre- I was like four and a half months pregnant. And then Teresa called uh, a woman named Phyllis Phelps, who then uh, talked to me and she... Um, shared Jesus with me and I accepted Jesus. And she told me, um, I told her that I was abortion minded. And I told her, I said, if it's a girl, I would abort it. There was no changing my mind because I didn't want my daughter to go through the same stuff I went through. And, but I said, if it's a boy, I'll keep it. And so after I heard the heartbeat of my child, I said, okay, I said, I'll keep them. I said, I'm homeless and I'm pregnant, and I looked at Phyllis and I said, now what? And that's when she helped me get into a program to where then I went on graduating the program, became, uh, went to Bible college, graduated Bible college, and then I went and I actually, Phyllis Phelps actually opened up a home um, that was for women like myself because I had challenged her basically and just said, "How? what are you going to do? How are you going to help her? So she opened up a home and when she opened up that home, I came back and I helped her and I worked uh, in her uh, ministry uh, called House of Hope, New Hampshire. And then I went on to become the director. And in the process, I wrote a book about how I got out of human trafficking. Uh, Wow. Started at age two. Is that correct? Yes. So at the age of two to the age of 18, I was what you would call coerced, and I was uh, groomed to become a prostitute. Uh, so my family members and friends of my family members, close family members, um, they gave me beer at four, gave me my first cigarette at six. I was drinking hard liquor by 12. I was doing drugs, heavy, heavy drugs like LSD and shrooms by the age of 14. Uh, and so... I had um, had been gang raped uh, multiple times in my high school years and then in, in middle school years. And then by the age of 18, I was homeless because my family had put me out. And so I needed a place to stay. And these pimps said, hey, we could give you some money and a place to stay as long as you do this. And I said, OK. Help us understand You know, if we hear a story like yours, I think one of the traps that we fall into is, boy, that's such an isolated story. It's just a one out of a billion kind of story. 
as terrible as it is, it's probably more common than we'd want to admit, isn't it? Yes, it is. Because the way that I fell into being sex trafficked uh, was basically uh, insecurity, not having uh, any love. So being told all my life that I was ugly, that I was fat, that I, that I wouldn't um, amount to anything, that no man would want me unless I was in a pimp and hoe relationship. If that's the only way that I could be married. That's what one of my close family members said to me, uh, that at the end of the day, there was nothing that I can do to please a man other than being in a pimp and hoe relationship. So that's all I was told. So when a gentleman or a, a man comes along and says, oh, you're beautiful, which is something completely different than what my family ever told me, then you gravitate and you go, oh, and they know they what they know what to say and how to say it. And next thing you know, being at 18, young, right? So not knowing anything better, right? Because it's called wet behind the ears. Okay, sure. And you go off and knowing that that was life, you know, being um, not just raped, but having multiple gunshots. I was telling one of my uh, empl uh, my employees today because they're reading up on human trafficking because we are very much, uh, our center very much focuses on that. Uh, and she, I said to her, I said, yeah, I remember being raped and in an abandoned house and fighting my way out and then having gunshots past my head because I was running and dodging the bullets so that I wouldn't die. You know, um, so those are kind of the things that I was uh, subjected to, that and abuse, uh, mm -hmm. physical abuse constantly. So so someone, so you, you've described for us physical, emotional abuse. You've described to us drug use, um, uh, many, many different areas. What, what I'm fascinated with is um, once you found your way, you could have become passionate about many, many different things, helping out many different, different areas. You could have gone into different areas, but the, you went to a pregnancy center and now you run a pregnancy center. Why that specific direction? Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, God called me, Jesus Christ called me to the pregnancy center, but two, my son, uh, who I love dearly saved my life. And I live my life, a new way of living and my mentality and thinking and all that. And so if I receive that same help, I could cry. I could receive that same help uh, that I can give to another woman and have the, and, or a man who has the ability and the opportunity to receive the same services I received. I, I'm no respecter or another. I'm not, I'm not no different, you know? And so, you know, that's why we have it at my center. We do life with each other, however that may look, because everybody's situation is very different, but ultimately we come from a broken place that needs healing and help. You mentioned men, and I hadn't thought about this until hearing your story. Someone in your position may forever hate the male uh, species, if you will, but, but you, your center helps men. How does that how does yeah. that make you feel and why and why and what do you do? Tell us about that. Uh, so we do uh, fatherhood programs. So we train men how to be a manly father, a godly, a godly man, one that takes on the responsibility of raising their child and 
uh, being a, a, a actual male figure that is uh, a healthy male figure in a, a household. So for me, um, having a son that is very, very close to my heart. I am, I, I love, you know, helping out women, helping mothers out, but I also, my heart is to help out men to, to gain the, the respect back for men as fathers, as men of God, as leaders, as what they're called to be, you know, and helping them of like, Hey, if you need a job or what what's going on, how can I help you? You know, however it may be so that they feel the support of being a man. I'm, I'm all for it. How do you forgive? I mean, I, I, this now I'm going way off the script now, Gene, I got to tell you, um, just your, your story is so fascinating to me. How do you forgive? Uh, easy. Uh, Jesus forgave me of my sins when he died on the cross. And as I said before, and I continue to say, if he forgive me of all the sins that I've committed against him, who am I not to forgive the people who have sinned against me? We're, we're not, everybody has, everybody has faults. Everybody has done people wrong. So when we try to put one, one thing against better, worse than another, it's, it's not, if somebody kills somebody or if somebody jaywalks and goes to jail, it, they're all the same. We've committed a crime. We've done something wrong. You know, no one is better. And I think that's where my forgiveness comes from. Even my family, I forgave them. Uh, and all the, you know, I've been molested, raped, like I said. So to know that Jesus forgave me and he forgives everyone. He says, as far as east from west, I have forgiven your sins no more. That's powerful. Thank you for sharing. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about how Jean takes her experience and now uses them to help others. We'll do that when we come back on Dear Jane. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. In a world filled with conflicting views, there's a podcast that embraces unity and understanding. Welcome to Dear Jane, where pro-life leaders and people from all walks of life come together to discuss the most important conversation of our time. Join us as we delve into the complexities, challenge the status quo, and explore the diverse perspectives on the issue of life. Dear Jane hosts the hard conversations, asks the tough questions, and acknowledges our differences, all while keeping our shared beliefs in mind. Together, we seek understanding, foster compassion, and inspire change. Tune in to be a part of the dialogue that matters. Dear Jane, where open hearts lead to meaningful conversation. On this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Daphne Robinson, Executive Director of Atlanta Morning Center. Daphne says Morning Center plays a unique role in caring for women with unplanned pregnancies. We actually identify ourselves as the next step in the pro-life ecosystem. We seek to intentionally collaborate with not just pregnancy centers, but other pregnancy health organizations to extend that long-term continuum of life-affirming care. Daphne says Morning Center attempts to identify any hurdles to a healthy birth. We're um, looking not only to meet mom at her point of need to have a healthy pregnancy for herself and her baby, but to have a safe and healthy delivery of that child. 
Daphne says it's important for sinners to fill gaps associated with having little or no health insurance. The woman who is experiencing health care insecurity is going to be at greater risk than the woman who has insurance and can see her doctor regularly. The uninsured woman may not begin prenatal care early enough. She may not go to her visits consistently and go all the way through all 40 weeks. If she starts prenatal care late or attempts to start, if she's after 32 weeks, the majority of providers are reluctant to take her on as a patient because they don't want to be held liable for what may have happened the first 32 weeks. She says a focus on the mom's health impacts factors that threaten a healthy pregnancy and birth. So if we're working with mom to have a healthy pregnancy, good nutrition and exercise, we're going to have a direct impact on that low birth weight and ideally on the neonatal and infant mortality as well. Morning Center currently has locations in Memphis and Atlanta with one coming soon to Dallas. To learn more, visit morningcenter.org. Attention change makers. Want to make a difference in the lives of abortion-minded women? Look no further than Choose Life Marketing, the pro-life agency dedicated to spreading messages of hope and love. With expert services in web design, digital marketing, fundraising, and branding, DLM helps you reach those who need it most and provide them with life-affirming alternatives. Choose Life Marketing is your ally in the fight for life, empowering you to make a lasting impact and change hearts one click at a time. Step up and join us in spreading hope to abortion-minded women and transforming lives. Choose Life Marketing, where marketing meets compassion. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. We're back here on Dear Jane, visiting today with Jean Marie Davis, who is the executive director of Branches Pregnancy Resource Center in Vermont. Jean, you've shared with us your extremely difficult background, but now you run a very successful pregnancy center in Vermont. How did that happen? Oh, um, so I was called to it. Uh, I was handed, actually, Phyllis Phelps actually handed me the application to become the director. Uh, and it was I was in the process of writing my book called um, Breaking Chains Against All Odds. And uh, in the process, I was trying to figure out what to do. And uh, by faith, I actually quit my job. I was working the H- I was working in the HR department of a hospital. And I just quit my job without having a job to go to and just believing I would be the next director. And uh, my board hired me on. And from there, we've taken off and we've done amazing things. We've seen um, triple the amount of women coming in for resources, whether it's clothes, um, whether it's, um, uh, let's see here, clothes, formula, uh, whether it's diapers. Uh, We have a program now that we have set for women who have been, it's actually a a support group for women who have been trafficked or in domestic violence situations. Uh, We have uh, parenting classes. We have marriage counseling uh, classes that help them, you know, with uh, women and men who are dealing with how to be parents together if this is their first time being parents. Uh, So we have all kinds of 
different things. We work with the city, uh, which is really huge. Uh, we work with the police department, uh, helping them with uh, traffic women and the hospital. Uh, so if women who are being trafficked, they need our services or help uh, because of the fact that I know uh, what it's like to be in that kind of situation in the hospital and stuff. Uh, we uh, are more than well to help them. We educate uh, different or, uh, different departments in the hospital. We train the police department on different ways to look at because being trafficked, they come in different uh, ways. It's not like the normal, you know, one way. It could be multiple uh, ways. So we give them a variety of looking at how to detect uh, trafficking. Uh, whether it's a woman standing outside holding a sign saying that she's homeless. In reality, her her pimp has told her she may not be selling her body physically, but her standing outside asking for money. And if she doesn't get money, she can get her pimp mad at her. So there's all kinds of avenues and different ways that pimping happens. And so just bring the awareness to that. So here's, here's a question that's going to probably make you roll your eyes and but it's just, it's from a position of naivete, and I admit, but as I think about people and before, as I've thought about people who are being trafficked or who in some of the situations you describe, why don't they just leave? Because it is a drug. So I was with a pimp for five years uh, and there was so many things he did to me and there were so many people that said, just leave. And I go, no, he's the only one that loves me. Or nobody, they, the pimps make you feel as if no one cares about you. That, Oh, if you leave, nobody's going to look for you. Nobody don't, nobody likes you. Nobody loves you. I'm the only one that loves you. And so they play a lot of mind games and they manipulate situations to where you literally think that you are going crazy. Uh, and when they say certain things and or they'll tell you you're lying, no, that's not true. And so after a while, they've played it. And with that comes the drugs because I was addicted to crystal meth, right? So being absorbed in drugs, being absorbed in the manipulation of them lying and saying that he, they're the only ones, or if I do leave them, they're going to kill my family, right? There was many times, many times, people, many pimps uh, tried to uh, threaten my family, uh, threaten um, friends. So I stay so that they don't get hurt. Wow. When you talk about the work that you do with trafficking and, and helping uh, like police uh, see the signs, that sort of thing. I think that's information that would be useful for all of us. And that example you gave um, resonates. I mean, I, I, I would think that most of us see things like that in almost every hometown across the, across the country. Uh, but what's interesting to me is I, you know, you're in Vermont and you know, silly me here in the middle of the country, I think, well, not that many people live in Vermont but you still have trafficking up there. And so that just speaks to how big of a problem it is. Yep. Yeah. To the point where they want to legalize prostitution in the state of Vermont. Wow. <laughs> yep. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it, um, it's to the point where the, in new England, 
they're known for the massage parlors. That's what on they're known for is, you know, going to different massage parlors and different places. So you have that. But then uh, just about a week ago, I was talking to a stewardess. I was flying to a state and it was on Southwest. And the stewardess was saying, we are dealing with trafficking so bad that at one point they had to keep the plane grounded because they saw a woman who was being trafficked that was drugged out of her mind, but they couldn't find the pimp on the plane. So they had to figure out who the pimp was and they had to get the woman out of the situation. So this is like there I've seen w women be bought for a uh, bot in an airport and actually be purchased between and you never know where they go to. I've, I've seen it all. Wow. You know, I've had pimps fly me to different states and stuff. So I've seen it all. What can the pro-life movement or what should the pro-life movement be doing to help women who are in that situation? So because of the fact that most most women or a lot of women that are being trafficked, they go through a lot of abortions uh, because they become uh, non uh expendable right they they lose their value if they become pregnant like i'm considered damaged goods because i've had a child uh so the pimps will make them want uh, to have an abortion so for the pro-life and this is what i explain to a lot of people at our center we sit there we walk with them they we hold their hands we say okay we're here to help you you know give us a sign you you know we have certain signals and signs in our center that notify us without them saying anything if they're pimp is there or not if they want to get out or whatever and give them those options like hey if you ever want to get out or if you ever want to be in a safe place just reach out to us and we'll help you you know that's the the key thing if you know someone who is being because i i know like sound of freedom and all these movies have come out and then everybody goes great this is great awareness but what's the next step the next step is to find an organization like House of Hope, New Hampshire, or my pregnancy center, and sit there and say, okay, we have someone, you know, they are, we're ground on the floor running, getting people and stuff like that. So we know how to, the protocols and how to do things. But if people who don't know how to do things, all they need to do is have resources. And that's why our center is so key because we have so many different resources. You know, like I told the, our, um, our state reps and everybody, I have organizations across the United States that if I need to get a woman out of the state to get safe, I can do that. Or, you know, or we can set up different ways to help even men if they're not safe, because I've seen men be trafficked by women, you know, so they can get out as well. So it, it's, it's all about resources and knowing people. Mm. So you end up writing an article for The Hill. And for those who don't know, The Hill is a very influential article in Washington, D.C. Uh, and basically, the gist of it is that a pregnancy center saved my life. What, what has been the response? And uh, I mean, that took a lot of guts, um, you know, to, to, to do that. A lot of courage. And I think you should, you're, should be commended for that. What has Thank sort you. of been the, uh, uh, any kind of blowback or response, just to generally speaking, to that, to that article? Uh, well, we uh, I was able to go on Fox News and we've had many women and uh, men who have come into our center uh, since then, since that article to get help. Not even and I mean, I've had people call me 
from around the area and around not just in my area where our centers at, but in other areas. And I've had to direct them to other pregnancy centers of saying, hey, go connect with this pregnancy center or hey, go connect with that one. So not trying to say, oh, come down to me. I'm a person where, hey, I'm an hour away from you. Hey, there's somebody that's closer to you. Go see them and stuff, you know, and try to get people known that there's other pregnancy centers around around that they may not have known. You know, people get so many things wrong about pregnancy centers. Uh, what bothers you the most? I mean, what, what, what are some of the things that people frequently get wrong about pregnancy centers that really just upset you the most? That we're trying to push an agenda when we're not. Uh, like I tell everybody, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Yes, I gave my life. To Christ in a pregnancy center because I had the opportunity to receive them uh, and it changed my life. Um, and we don't shy back in letting people know that we're Christians and that we believe in Jesus. However, you know, I was not, I wasn't a Christian when I walked in the doors, you know, so, it, you know, anybody, you know, whether you're uh, Muslim or whatever, it doesn't matter. When you walk in, you know where you're walking into, but we're here to help you because Jesus said that the man uh, the Samaritan, the good Samaritan who came alongside and helped the man that was beat up, they took him to an inn and cared for him. And that's the same that we do at our center. I don't care who you are, what you do. Um, uh, but if you need my help, whether it's trying to get a job, whether it's trying to, I, you know, we made it to where I actually sit on, a, um, the housing coalition in our community so that I'm aware of what's going on with the housing organization so that I can, like today, tell one of the homeless women that I saw, hey, go to this person. They can help you. They have information where you can. And she was holding a sign. And she was like, thank you so much. And she knows that I'm here. To, they all know I'm here to help them. And that's just the beautiful thing about what we do as a pregnancy center, that I get frustrated that people think that we don't do. So one of the questions that we also often like to ask our guests, uh, the name of this podcast is Dear Jane. So as you think of the Jane of 2023, if she were to come across this podcast and she's in, her situ in that kind of situation, which you run into that every day at your center, what would you say to her? What would you be your message to her? I would say that I love her and that she is not alone and that I, we are here to do life with her and to let me know what she needs and how we can walk with her or him. And, you know, I, I, it's something that's so important that I can't get over. I keep coming back to what you, you said about how you aren't valuable. You were, you were told that you're not value, valuable. Um, that, I mean, that's just so, so wrong. Um, and I think that that's something else that's important that we can convi convey to them as well. Yes. And that's why we always say that we love them. Yeah. Because they may not... People, women and, and people, especially in, in my city, we deal with the low-income housing and the homeless. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is, uh, just to let them know that they're loved. You might be the most impressive redemption story I've heard in a long, long time. It's just what an amazing story. Um, I, I really appreciate you sharing it with us today. Amen. Thank you for having me. Dear Jane, the Life-Giving Podcast. My thanks to Jean Marie Davis for sharing her story. It takes such courage to face your past like that and use it to help so many people today. 
If you'd like to visit the website for Jean's Pregnancy Center, you can find it at branchesprc.com. We've got another uplifting story next time that you won't want to miss. We're going to talk to a man who was conceived from sexual assault. His mother chose life, but he had to wait several decades to tell her thank you. That's coming up next time on Dear Jane. Don't forget to subscribe so you can know when we have new episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Dear Jane Podcast. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. For our producer, Kate Yule, and editor, Jacob McCormick, I'm Scott Baker. Thank you for listening.